Well, g'day. Pastor Tom here. So glad to have you with us as we continue on through our men's series on biblical manhood. Uh, I know that some of you have grabbed me to say that last week's video was a blessing. I'm glad it was. If you haven't watched it, go and get on it. It was all about man, uh, males being made to be the glory of God in this world, all the ins and outs of that, the difficulties of it, and how it's all redeemed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Welcome to video number two. Uh, I hope that you would share these with your friends, with your loved ones, with any man that you think would need or benefit from this. But I also want to say, if you've got teenage boys, if you've got young boys, you have sons who are going to be men someday, these videos would be good for them as well. I'll probably say some things that need explaining to younger ears or need uh, explaining to uh, less mature ears. And so that'll be your job as a dad. I would pray that you have them along to these videos if you're watching I hope they're with you as well. I want to bless and uh, teach to the whole family here. And that uh, uh, that happens when men come together to learn from the Word of God. So today, our, our topic of conversation is, a, is a surrounding the doctrine of the imago dei, which is Latin for the image of God. Now, when we talk about that, there's so many different aspects to it. We're just going to jump straight in. But where I want to uh, remind you at the beginning, we're looking at manhood here, uh, not not simply mankind and how we are all together in uh, uh, in the image of God as male and female. We will look at that at future weeks when we study marriage and sexuality. We're going to look at headship and submission and all that that means as being made in the image of God for both male and female. But today we're looking at males made in the image of God with our first prototype being Adam, our great example being Jesus Christ. What does the Bible teach us? Pray that this would be a blessing to you as men to realize your calling, realize your mission, realize the gifting and the glory and the honor and the dignity that is given to you as men. This is why we want to study it. Because being made in the image of God, this, this is extra, this is none of my notes, but being made in the image of God means that we have supreme worth. Extreme value comes to those who are made in the image of God because of the inherent value of God. That is why there is so much motivation here to, to teach men well, to educate men, train men according to what the Word of God would say to us and put callings on our lives because while we may not be engaged in active murder or torture towards men, if we let them go on in their way, be discipled by the culture, Chaos comes in and destroys men's lives. Men and the women and children around them and beneath them have value. And so to redeem that value, save them from harm's way, hold them back from the slaughter of life that comes for those who live in sin, I want to teach what the Bible says. I want to speak the word of God into that situation, have those men become biblical men so that they can live in, that, in, uh, in what God has called them to do. So let's get straight into it. When we talk about the image of God, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 1 and starting in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Now here's where we see God creating mankind, starting with Adam and Eve. We're specifically going to look at what he says to Adam uh, today. In verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, I hope you've got your Bible open with you. It reads the following. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And he will go on to list the creatures. Now, there's some things that I want to uh, look at today that I want to pull out from this text. And that is going to be basically in two categories. Number one, that to be in the image of God means that we have certain things about our nature, about our makeup, our attributes, what we can do, what we are like. That's our nature that make us in the image of God. Or or rather, we're made in the image of God, so we have certain natures. That'll answer the question, what does it mean that I'm in the image of God? What parts of me are imaging God? But then there's another part that I want to look at, which is the responsibilities or roles that come as a part of being made in the image of God. Uh, Being made in God's image means that, you know, this word is, uh, that's in the Hebrew's image is so often used in the Old Testament as a statue, when somebody would make a statue of themselves or of somebody else or of some other foreign god. It's a statue. A statue has, um, has a likeness to the thing that it is an image of, uh, but a statue also has uh, with it a, a certain role. It's there to do a purpose. Not just its nature, what it's like, but what it's there to do. Maybe it's symbolize authority. Maybe it's show forth beauty. Maybe it's commemorate an event and remember something that somebody has done that is of worth and value. So I want to look at as us in the image of God. What is our roles and responsibility? And what is the nature of mankind that make us in the image of God? Well, I want to start with roles and responsibilities. Number one, as you look at that Genesis passage, what you're going to notice is that God creates us in his image, right? He'll say here, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he goes from that, that statement straight into giving roles and assigning assignments and responsibilities. So you'll see, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and so on. So you go straight into roles and responsibility. This is the first one we see. We just touched on it. Dominion. Authority. Uh, he, he put him over all of, the, all of the created order. This is the role that we're going to see. That man was created as kings. Or as to be lords. That is, that they had authority. Adam was made with authority over the created order. I'm not talking about some magical spiritual authority to speak things into existence or make it rain when he when he told it to but i mean that he was given the authority as the ruler underneath god to rule over the world so we we see here that uh the word here is that he was given dominion in other words adam was told he was created in order to dominate that's not a bad word it's a great word that's a manly word that's a biblical manhood word to dominate he was to go out, he was to take uh, dominion, but that this was to be done well. The reason we so often think that dominate is a bad word is because people dominate to uh, adverse outcomes. They dominate in negative ways. Of course, what we mean is that Adam, being good, perfect, un, uh, uh, not yet sinful, in a good and perfect world, he was to go and to dominate things for the glory of God. He was supposed to do it well. He was supposed to bring order 
He was supposed to bring the image of God to be put on display. This whole idea of dominion, some people will think that it was lost in the fall. That we no longer have authority. That's no longer a part of our image. Now let's be very clear. In the fall of Genesis 3, of mankind into, into sin, the image of God was fractured. It was dislocated. It was marred. It was stained. But it was not lost. We retain still the image of God. I want to show you also Genesis 9. Uh, this calling on mankind, especially men, wasn't lost at the fall. It continued because we see in Genesis 9, long after the fall, after the flood, in Noah's lifetime, he said, uh, 9 verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and of everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave to you the green plants, I give you everything. Here again is dominion. Kings, lords, princes, they have authority as men. We put into this earth are given a genuine authority. We are commanded. It is part of our creation mandate. Every one of us since the beginning of the world to dominate in order to bring order in order to push back chaos, in order to hold back evil, reign in sin and bring about righteousness. We're going to look in the, in, in uh, I think a, a two, two more weeks, we're going to look at what it looks like to be men who are made to work, made to labor, made to produce. But for now, we're just going to stick on the image of God. <clears throat> there is just so much to say about biblical manhood, but we'll go back to Genesis chapter one. So, so firstly, we were made to have authority, rule, dominate. Uh, this is always not for our own sake or our own kingdom, but we are rulers, kings, uh, dominators under God. And it's being done in a way that gives glory to God because we're his image, a statue, if you will, a picture of him to the world to give glory to him. So that's the qualifier there. We can go on because just as we were made to be lords and kings, we were also made to be creators or fathers. Look at verse Gen uh, Genesis 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's good. subduing and dominion is next. But the first thing he says is fill it, make lots of babies, enjoy your beautiful wife Eve, make a whole lot of little atoms Fill this world with you because filling this world with other humans means filling this world with the glory of God it means filling the world with images of God. That's a good thing. This is why God wanted the earth to be filled with humans was because in humankind, he, he uh, is the capstone of all his creation, the highest pinnacle of all of his created order. And those people, especially in this instance, as we're talking this, men put there to rule and reign and give God glory. But just as God made Adam in his own image, he then commands Adam to go and make other children in, uh, sorry, make other humans or children in Adam's own image. That's, that's fatherhood. That's creating. That's a mandate that was given to Adam that still stands for you and I. That as we take a wife, 
make a home, we create a family, and we, we, we produce beings who are in God's image, but are also in our image. They look like us, they are like us, they're to carry our legacy, they're to carry our name, they're to carry our fame and our honor onwards, okay? And so in that same way, just like God created people in his own image for his glory, we create uh, little people in our own image to train them up into our glory. And that reads on into number three, that just as we are to be um, dominators and therefore we are supposed to be creators or fathers so that we can extend dominion, extend the glory of God and always this under the rule of God to his glory, imaging him. We are also supposed to be teachers or we could also say prophets. Now, when I say prophet, what I mean is somebody, and, and this is a definition of prophet that I use across my theological uh, spectrum. A prophet is somebody who brings the word of God to the people of God. That was the job of a prophet in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And that's how it's used even as an, an adjective. Somebody who brings the word of God to the people of God can be said to be a prophet or speaking prophetically. And in the same way, Adam was entrusted as a prophet. You might ask how. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we read this. The Lord God commanded the man. This is going directly to Adam. He commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but the tree of life uh, sorry but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die verse 18 then the lord god said it's not good that the man should be alone i will make a uh, helper fit for him do you see that 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 the command to not eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not given to adam and eve it was given to adam it was his responsibility to take the word of God, the commandment of God, and pass it on to Eve under his care and under his headship in the garden. The responsibility was for Adam. Every single human being in this garden must know this command, but God only told one man. The responsibility was Adam's to tell everybody else, train everybody else, disciple everybody else, pass on the command from God to everybody else. Men, this is a part of our calling. This was the job of the first Adam. This is the job of every man. Take the truth that we have been given from God and to pass it on. We bring the word of God to the people of God. Maybe for you, that people of God is your children and your wife. Maybe for you, that people of God are, are your employees or, or the church that you serve in in an authoritative way. Whoever it is, God entrusts you with words to understand, know, obey, and pass on. It's a prophetic teaching uh, responsibility that men have. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm going to keep on going. <coughs> uh, there's a lot to get through. Uh, we also see here that men, Adam specifically, was created as a priest or as a savior. I'm going to look at this word priest first. Um we can, just as we defined a priest as somebody who, uh, sorry, a prophet as somebody who brings the word of God to the people of God, so also a priest is somebody who brings the people of God before the Lord God. 
That is that he is somebody who prays for them, who intercedes for them, who mediates them to God, who represents the people to God, whereas a prophet represents God to the people. As a priest, Adam was in the very first temple. Now you might ask, where on God's green, beautiful earth in Eden was the temple? Well, that's the wrong question. The reality is that Eden was the temple. All throughout scripture, we see that this idea of temple symbolizes uh, where God meets with his people. And after the fall, there's all sorts of ways that that takes place in a tent, at the, uh, at the, the burning bush, in the tabernacle, on the, uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. And so it goes on and we see in the uh, end times, in, uh, at, at the end of the world in the new heavens and the new earth, that the whole city of the new Jerusalem, which is the bride where the church dwells, is the holy of holies. It is a temple. But back in Eden, there was no need for all of this outward form. God could meet with man openly, without walls, without curtains, without blood, without paintings, without smoke, without candles. Eden was the meeting place of God with mankind. So he walked with them in the cool of the day, it says in Genesis. What's interesting is, as God was present with them in that sense, in the garden, that's the exact same terminology used later on in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and elsewhere, speaking about God's presence in the temple and in the tabernacle. You need to realize that God was dwelling and communing with Adam and Eve in the garden because the Garden of Eden was to be a, 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 a cosmic temple, if you will. So much so that when sin came in, they were kicked out, just like you'd be kicked out of the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the two uh, angels were placed to protect and guard the temple. Just, uh, uh, sorry, the, the garden. Protect and guard the garden. Just as when they built the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, they put two angels, same, same thing, onto the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing what had happened in the first temple, Eden. And so as the ruler of the house of God, as the ruler over the temple, Adam was a priest. He was responsible for ruling and reigning and teaching and discipling and creating and fathering, but also as being a priest to his people and a priest of his people to God. We see that uh, Adam is actually symbolized as somewhat of a priest uh, later on in the prophetical writings, specifically Ezekiel. Um, uh, but, but what we see uh, furthermore, is if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see how mankind is supposed to be a savior and a priest. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, and the theme will be coming up in your head, just very similar to 1 Peter 2. Uh, 1 Peter says to us what was said to Israel, which was said truly to the original intent of mankind, that we are a royal priesthood. We're a priesthood. We are men who are supposed to be priests fulfilling that role. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, says... For the husband is the head of the, of, of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. 
you see there that we saw headship, we saw authority, we saw rule of husbands over wives and Christ over the church. We see the, the picture drawn out that Christ is the head, the church is the body, husband is the head, wife is the body. But then we also see that Christ is the saviour of the church. This parallelism is showing that husbands are to be in some sense, right? Let's not get confused in our theological categories. There's no sense in which a husband earns or attains eternal salvation for his wife. And yet there is a way that the the Bible will refer to us as the saviours of our wives. Not because we save them through ourselves, but because we bring our wives to Jesus who is their saviour. We point our wives to Jesus. We point all those who we have authority over to Jesus. That is the sense in which we are priests. Paul will go on in Romans 15 verse 16 and say that he is a priest who brings the offering of the Gentile nations to God. So this is a a way that, that we are meant to be priests. We bring people to God. We point them to Jesus and we, in some sense, uh, fulfill that calling to be uh, heroes, saviors of people by pointing them to Jesus. I'm going to keep going uh, because we've, we've come to the end, really, of, of the, the roles of mankind, of men specifically, of males. We are to be the king. We are to be fathers or creators. We are to be prophets and teachers. We are to be priests and saviors in love All of this, not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to him whose image we are made in, God. Let me now say uh, a few very brief things about our nature. We said before, the image of God means we have responsibilities as men and we have nature. There's something about us that is different to other creation, uh, pieces of creation that are not made in the image of God. I'm going to go through a a list of seven and basically just go dot form. You can uh, go back, listen to these later. Uh, Part of our nature, and so many theologians debate about what exactly it means to be made in the image of God. I'm going to list some. There's more. The Bible is not extremely explicit about this. What it wants us to know is God. If we know God, we can recognize in ourselves what things God has made us to be like him in. But here's some. First of all, morality. We as creatures have a level of morality that is above monkeys and dogs and and worms. They don't have courthouses. They don't have systems of law. It's just all instincts and animal justice. We have righteousness. We have morality and a conscience and law. Secondly, we have spirituality. That is that we have a soul, some kind of immortal, everlasting component to us that other uh, creatures don't have. Your dog won't be in heaven. There will be some dogs in heaven. There will be some lions in heaven. They won't be your dog. They won't be your cat. Sorry. Cats go to hell anyway. Men don't have a cat. Uh, Next, we see that we have intellectual or intelligent uh, uh, capabilities that are are in God's image. God is uh, shown over and over again to be wise, to be intelligent, to be smart, to be... Uh, have this wealth of knowledge and therefore he creates to show it off. He speaks out of the abundance of his truth. And so in the same way, we, as opposed to uh, apes or even dogs or dolphins or cows, whatever other animals can be trained, we have a heightened ability to know, to understand, to reason, to rationalize. That's part of it. 
We also have a level of creativity and productivity where we create inventions. We come up with vehicles. We come up with new places to live, new technologies. It is amazing. It also, in, in the sense that, that we, we develop the arts. You don't go to a dog museum put on by dogs who have, who have displayed their most famous postmodern artists up in an uh, exhibition. Doesn't happen. Humans do that because we appreciate what is beautiful. We appreciate what is uh, artistic and what is helpful, what is good, what is produ productive, so we invent. Let's keep going. We'll skip a couple. Uh, we're also relational. God is relational eternally because he's eternally the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, forever being in perfect communion and, relationship and relational love. And so mankind has been created in a way that no other animal or part of creation has been to relate to love, to emotionally bind with, to be in communion with, uh, in marriage especially, but even in community and society. Number six, you can look at our strength. That men are created to be strong, to be protectors, to be providers. We have strength in order to do tasks. Uh, and this is a part of God's image that we see all throughout Scripture. God is having this strong right arm. Sorry, left-handers. Uh, that's just a, uh, a part of the fall. That we'll all be right-handed in heaven. God has a strong right arm. He is a firm, strong fighter, a warrior, and all of these things. Uh, and so we are made with this physical strength to image God's strength. And let me just skip to the last one. Uh, now, you know what? We'll just keep going. But here's what I want to ask you. Think of all of those parts about you, those that nature of yours, all those attributes we just went through maybe you hear them go yeah yeah i've got all those i'm strong i'm intelligent i'm creative i'm productive all of that they were all given in order to fulfill your responsibilities and your roles that we went through earlier so i want to ask you man are you cultivating all of these natural attributes that you have as being made in god's image are you cultivating them to bring yourself to a greater fulfillment of the purpose that God has made you for, which is to glorify him through these roles and responsibilities? Where you are not, there will come in chaos. Where you are not, there will come in a, a sub, uh, uh, a, a, a lessened level of joy for you to be living in. There will be a decreased satisfaction. There will be a decreased uh enjoyment of life by those under your care because you are not ruling as the king you should be you are not teaching as the prophet you should be you are not mediating people to christ as the priest that you should be you're not fathering and creating as the father and creator that you should be to glorify god this is the calling on us we spoke before of the reality of the fall, didn't we? We said that the, in, in the fall, mankind fell from this perfect image of God. When Christ came into the world, he came into a world filled with men who had marred the image of God, destroyed the image of God, but who still carried the image of God within them. Jesus came in and he was the perfect image of God. I want to read to you what we find in Colossians chapter 1. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And it says this, uh, Paul speaking to the Colossian church. He says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God. 
That's what you and I were called to be. We have been marred. We have fallen. We have been subpar. We've been adulterous and rebellious. Christ came as the perfect, unadulterated, exact image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You can already see, can't you, that the kingship of Christ, the prophetic work of Christ, the priestly work of Christ, the fatherly work of Christ, just as we've been given all those things. He is the head of the his body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is saviour. Jesus is teacher. Jesus is discipler. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the perfect man to look at and follow. If you think that Jesus is some sissy, some sook, some pale, white, halo, glowing, basically a chick who dressed in a tunic and walked around with 12 acapella boys singing hymns and and uh, uh, spending time with the girls and holding up the peace sign and telling people not to make too much trouble, you're wrong. Jesus was a carpenter for his, uh, throughout his teenage years and into adulthood. Then he became a teacher of the word of God. He was a man's man, but not just a bloke that we look at and cringe at because he's disgusting and self-aggrandizing. He was the perfect image of God. He was a real man the way that we were meant to be. And here's the good news for you. Where you have failed as a ruler and a reigner for the glory of God, where you have failed as a teacher and a prophet over your family and wherever you have influence for the glory of God, where you have failed to be a savior or a priest over those in your care for the glory of God, where you have failed to fulfill the calling on you as one made in the image of God, Christ has come and done what you could not done. Christ has come and done what we could never have done. I'm going to read also in Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's the old man in Adam, your sinful man, who has worked against the pattern of the image of God and failed through sin. Put that man away. Put it off. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you are in Christ by faith, if you have looked to his atoning work on the cross, if you have looked to where he took the wrath of God against us for having broken the pattern of the image of God, for having failed the command to walk in the law of God, God took that wrath laid it out upon Christ, who was the perfect image, but he was given as the perfect image to be our perfect saviour. If you've looked on him in faith, you are saved and you are being redeemed, renewed after the image of God's likeness in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Let me also uh, read to you in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We are told... That we all, with uncovered faces, are beholding the glory of the Lord. What a glorious thought. 
that we are looking at the glory of God manifested in front of us. And what's the context? He's specifically talking about us looking and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Looking at and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is to behold the glory of God. It's not miracles. It's not magic like that. It's not some amazing manifestation to the eyes. It's beholding the gospel. To behold the gospel is to behold the glory of God. And we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And all of this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's the good news. By faith you've been redeemed. By Christ you've been saved. The image that was broken is being restored through Him who is the perfect image of God, Jesus Christ. Men, don't lose hope. Don't focus on your past failures, but focus on your calling. Focus on your salvation through Jesus Christ and focus on what God can do through you if you would be committed to walking in that. I'm praying for you. I love you. See you next week at Hope Men, Biblical Manhood. Catch you.